Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest, Lillian Avidian, is an Armenian-American journalist and poet from Los Angeles. Her writing's been published in uh, many different things, um, some of which includes the Armenian Weekly, the Los Angeles Review of Books, uh, Heck, and the Daily Californian. She has a bachelor degree in Peace and Conflict Studies and Armenian Language and Literature from the University of California, Berkeley. Journey to Tatev, which she's here to talk about, is her first published poetry collection. So congratulations and welcome, Lillian. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. So um, before we begin, can I just ask you to, to open the session by reading us a poem? You can, you can choose something or I can suggest it's up to you. Um, I'll let you suggest. Okay, uh, how about How Will You Remember Me? Oh, yes. Let's open it up. That's a good one. I've never recited that one before. So here exclusive. we go. <laughs> yes, very exclusive. How will you remember me? Will you see me bare-faced, bare palms, astride a stage, mouth wide? Will you see levitating legs, twirling toes, skidding across wooden panels? Will you scale every mezzanine to watch me soar? Will you see cracked hearts bleed ink as you fall asleep? Will you hear brazen shouts of glory as you wake up? Will you draw a new map of footsteps racing across every surface? Will your soul plummet through basements when I am under? Will your winds uproot beloved buildings in search of my pattern? When soil covers stars and streetlights live in sky, you will read poetry in every line and realize that I have always been a part of you. Mm. That's such a beautiful poem, and uh, and that's why I that's why I suggested it. Um, can, can we talk about the me and the you, which is often um, it's often used in lots of different ways through your work? Um, in, and you can start with that poem if you like. I know it, it um, the the subject and the object changes throughout the work, and is often many different things at once, which is one of the beautiful things that poetry can do. Um, but tell me a little bit about you know who who you're talking to in that poem. Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think you've hit the nail on the head by saying that it does kind of shift, um, both in terms of, I think, when I'm writing, I have multiple subjects in mind whom I might be addressing. So one is the reader. I like to think that sometimes I'm addressing the reader. Um, there are several figures in the book whom sometimes I'm addressing. Um, sometimes it's the mother figure, sometimes it's the love interest. Um, I think that with this poem, um, over time, as I revisit the poems, my understanding of who the you is also changes. Um, so at some points, the you in this poem has been a person. At some points, it's been a place. Um, I like to think of it as, now I think of it as the places I've been in the past that I miss and I long for from before the pandemic when things were very different and we were going out. Um, so it, 
it very much shifts over time. I don't mean for there to be a stable you, I suppose. And I like it for it to be open to the reader. If they feel that I'm addressing them, then I like for that to be present as well. Mm. I mean, that addressing the reader is, is quite an intimate thing, isn't it, really? Um, and then there seems to be, um, and, and this is the nice interplay between this intimate reader, you know, how are you, 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 um, you, the specific individual who's reading the book right now. So that could be me while I'm reading, or it could be anybody who's reading. And that's a one person, one-to-one kind of conversation. But then it seems like there's also this kind of broader you almost as in uh, the world. How will I be remembered? How will this work be remembered? How will anybody in the human race be remembered? Yeah, I definitely think that's present in the poem as well. Um, Maybe... I don't think I was consciously thinking of it that way. But I think something I love about poetry especially is that things arise in your writing even without you intending it. So I think there's definitely, throughout the book, I'm sure there's references to legacy. Yes, of course. And you know, it, for you though, um, your, your published work has always been prose up until now. Have you always been writing poetry? I mean, how did the collection come together, you know, in that transition from, I guess, being a journal, almost like a journalist, really, in in the way you've approached your writing, to um, this, you know, completely different type of writing? Yeah, it's very different from what I usually do, because I am a journalist, and so most of the work I do is nonfiction. Um, I, so we'll go way back. I started writing poetry when I was 12, Um, I actually recently I went through my old journals and dig up my very first poems um, and they're just observations about nature and just things I would think about as a child and then for many years I didn't write poetry and then in college I was introduced to Armenian feminist poetry it was the first time that I was introduced to this kind of writing I didn't know there were Armenian feminists, let alone Armenian feminist poets. And I I fell in love with this kind of writing and that inspired me to begin writing poetry again because I saw myself reflected in this writing in a way that I hadn't in any other kind of literature. And I thought, wow, like what an amazing way to convey my own voice if I can embody that kind of writing. Um, so I started writing then that was, I guess, three years ago at this point. And I've been writing poetry basically nonstop ever since. Mm. So is it, it been kind of like your, (laughs) your secret unpaid art while you were doing the, you know, the, the kind of more formal journalistic writing? Right. I was, I was not getting paid for most of <laughs> my poetry for a while. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know if that changes. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's a different um, way yeah. of looking at something too. It's like almost like the other side of the coin. You have the, you know, the narrative, what happened and, and where and that kind of journalistic precision. And then you have this whole range of subtle things that are part of the truth that are a little bit outside of that linear narrative. Mm, yeah. You're absolutely right. And it's something I think about a lot. I think poetry, having that outlet is very helpful for me as a journalist. Because I think while I love journalism, sometimes I get quite frustrated with, you know, the need to present things in a certain rigid way, um, with like a linear sort of 
objective narrative, an understandable narrative, um, especially because a lot of the work I do as a journalist, not to get too much into it, but it has to do with human rights issues. And I think that I get quite frustrated with like the, the objective tellings of that. So I think having poetry as an outlet is helpful to overturn the writing styles I have to use for journalism, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it gives you somewhere to put all that, um, <laughs> you know, all the extra observations and, and everything that surrounds that particular line, I guess. But it, was there a point where you just said, gosh, I have enough, <laughs> I have a collection here, what am I gonna do with it? Or, or you know, did you actually build the book um, to suit, you know, the Girls on Key call out? Yeah, good question. I did not start writing thinking I was writing a book. I started writing, I started writing this book in November of 2019, but at the time I was just writing a bunch of poems that were still connected to each other. Um, and then between then and the course over the course of the next six months, I guess, I was just writing a lot because there was a lot going on in my life and poetry was just helpful as a way to, you know, process my own feelings and experiences. And then I reached a point where I thought, oh my gosh, I have, I have a lot of poems here. <laughs> um, why don't I try and put them together? So I spent a lot of time editing and trying to put them in order. Um, when you read the book, there are several linear narratives, um, but I did not write the poems in that order. So as I went back and went through the poems, I organized them so that several narratives would emerge. Um, so I did a lot of work with editing. Yeah, and I guess, was there a point at that where you went, okay, this is good enough. I'm gonna send it out to, to someone. Yeah, I think I spent like two months after I was done writing, just editing the, these poems on my own. Mm. And then I thought, okay, I have something I think I'm proud of that I've put a lot of work into. Let's send it out there. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Were you surprised about the, I guess, the, the post acceptance editing process? I mean, I was, I was quite delighted with it. I have to say that, you know, getting somebody else in there to raise questions for me was, you know, kind of a necessity. And I know that Girls on Key does a, you know, brilliant editing job. Um, but what, how did you find that process? Did it change a lot of what you were thinking you were doing? Mm. Yeah, I had a wonderful experience working with Girls on Key. Um, I think it was definitely very helpful. I mean, I had, again, at that point, I'd been working on this for a year already. So I'd read and reread the poems so many times. I think the fresh set of eyes was very helpful to, um, I think raise, mostly raise questions about the writing style and structural things that maybe make sense to you. And then you realize that they don't translate the same way for a reader. Um, I think those are the kinds of things that I was forced to rethink. Mm. Um, I mean, I think po poetry, poetry is product simple. too, or is the book as a product rather than as something that is again your intimate perceptions or feelings? You know, it, it becomes something objective in that process. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way way to think about it. Yeah, it does become a product. I guess it's not just yours anymore, mm. right? It also it then belongs to the people who are going to read it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, wonderful and sad at the same time. 
<laughs> to lose that child in the world. Um, but they, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is a, a pretty strong theme through the book, and uh, you keep going back to it, is this notion of the journey. And there are all sorts of journeys in the book, um, you know, physical, metaphorical, away from Armenia, um, back to it. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that, that whole concept of the journey and how it plays out. Mm. Yeah, there are multiple journeys in the book. So the book, it literally follows a, the journey of a road trip. So a mother and her daughter are traveling from the capital of city of Armenia, which is Yerevan, to Datev Monastery. And that's a trip that I've actually done multiple times. It's a 10 hour bus ride through just these incredible, beautiful mountains. Um, it's quite precarious, you know, it's twisting and turning. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful trip. So I've done that multiple times. And then there's the other level of the journey, which is a coming out journey. Um, in terms of the protagonist sort of coming out to herself and also I think more so to her mother um, is kind of the driving force behind a lot of their interactions throughout the book. Um, and I don't want I don't want to give away sort of how I decided to end the book. Um, but yeah, I think those are like the multiple journeys. Mm. Now don't give away the ending, but can I get you to read something else? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, do you, again, do you want a suggestion on the journey topic? <laughs> yes, go for it. All right, go how about we, we hurdle towards a destination? Oh, yes. Hurdle towards a destination. Okay. We hurdle toward a destination. My mother sleeps, so I may dream. My head on her chest. My brain and guts intertwined, inconsolable shaking. Her arm, ever secure. I love you, in so many words. Was I just being dramatic? She just kind? Do we ever say the things we mean? I remember her eyes. I remember her slow nod. I remember how she did not move her arm. I remember I shifted closer. She created space for me. Do you remember last night? I remember everything. Gaze ahead at the trees. My words vanish into the wind. I place this bulk at the center of my chest on the edge of the precipice, allow it to dangle so that you may know its weight. Sometimes I wonder if you remember, I remember everything. Rushed, hushed by the wind, rattles the window panes, my heart rattles against my rib cage. Steady, steady now, we will make it in time. I vibrate, I stumble, I gurgle, I could vomit. Her chest balances my head. Do you remember? Love is for the brave. Wonderful. Um, so th this poem, of course, it's, a, it's part of that, that big journey. Um, 
but also there's so much going on in terms of the, you know, the transitions that are happening through that journey, the, the physical and the emotional. Right. So we can, we yeah. can see that, you know, mm -hmm. we can see that head on the chest. We can see that whole scene happening, almost nothing happening except the scene, almost like a tableau. And yet there's this whole inner journey taking place through that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think with this poem, um, it's sort of, I guess the way I was thinking about it as I was writing is sort of reconciling with past experiences, mm. right? So how do you think about something that happened a long time ago, but still feels very present for you? Um, and that's why you have sort of these shifts between, you know, when she feels nauseous, is it because the bus is shaking or is it because of this experience that she's recalling or is it that she felt nauseous in that moment at all? You know, it kind of intentionally blends together. Um, and you're right, it is an inner journey of reconciliation. Mm. And, and the other theme, which also comes out in that poem, um, but also throughout the whole book, is this relationship, which you, you just talked about a little bit, um, between the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter, and this whole notion, I guess, of identity, you know, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a modern woman versus, a, you know, a, a woman in the past, um, what it means to be uh, Armenian, you know, all, all sorts of identity questions come up, um, you know, sexuality, the, the whole, that whole spectrum comes up, but it comes up um, through the book in this interesting way between, you know, the connection between grandmother, mother and daughter, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think these are just questions that I think about all the time. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, it, I think it was inevitable that much of the book was going to be about what it means to be an Armenian woman as a mm. feminist. Um, and I think a lot about questions of ancestry, right? I think that, and this is something that you might hear when you speak to other Armenians who identify as queer or as feminists, is that there's this inherent conflict between these identities. Um, they're not seen as inherently compatible. You can't be both at the same time. And so I think in writing this book, I was thinking about this question of whether, you know, my ancestors would accept me the way I am. Um, I think on the surface, it seems like maybe not, but perhaps they knew things or they understood things that we don't know now. Mm. Um, and maybe they would be thrilled that <laughs> there are Armenian queer feminists who are writing their stories. In, in a way though, it's, it's even more, it strikes me in, in your work that this mm -hmm. is even more than acceptance. It's, it's a kind of um, acceptance of the, that you're part of who they are as well. So it's not just, mm -hmm. you know, can you, will you accept me as I am, but will you accept that who I am is also part of, you know, what the, the whole story of who we are? Right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's, it's so poignant, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, this idea of what we inherit, but also what we contribute. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. to the notion of identity, you know, in this in this whole story. So I might ask you to read an, another one, um, if that's okay. Uh, we need your gra- we need to buy your grandmother a present. Would that be okay? Yes, absolutely. We need to buy your grandmother a present. Your hair has been falling out. Blue opaque sky like blots of paint scarred by mountain masses. If I fell through the sky, would the earth rumble or would it flinch? Bus approaches the mountain masses. Your hair has been falling out. You have been stressed, yet you won't tell me why. Sometimes each piece of me feels so heavy. Could I lift my limbs? Raise finger to glass. Reach, reach, reach. Curl fingers around a piece. Pull the stone. Shatter. Mountains hurtle toward me, throwing their weights like giants, rolling down a hill, limbs soaring, soaring, turn away. Mountains fly toward me. I am so afraid. I shall twist. I shall roll. I shall fall off of the earth with this feeling buried in my chest like an immovable bundle, suspended in the fluid colors of passing frame. Granite fills bones, skin steps back, matter obstructs veins, surface cracks open, explodes. The earth is orange with fire. Yes, I am of this world. I deserve to write these words, though my fingers shake. Your hair, your hair. I am of this world. I know of a product we can use. Gorgeous. I, I just love to the, um, again, I think this, uh, this idea of what's happening on the outside versus what's happening on the inside, but also even just mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, hair and product versus, you know, this cataclysmic uh, opening that's happening. Um, it's, it's such a beautiful, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, incongruous, but beautiful connection between that, you know, that idea of, of <laughs> uh, you know, the, I guess the motherly voice saying, you know, we, we can fix this, this problem <laughs> with your hair, which is, of course, um, your whole identity. <laughs> right. And then there's this whole other yeah. reality, which is, you know, this massive um, opening out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, because I think, you know, the reader, I don't think would see this because it's not in the book, but, you know, something as trivial as hair is also very central to queer identity often. One of the first things I did when I came out was I chopped all my hair off. (laughs) So I think that there's also that subtext. Hmm. um, I think it's central to identity. identity. Yeah. And particularly from a, you know, a mother point of view, this whole notion of, you know, girls have long hair, you know, it's just, just a, it's a crazy binary that I think is really very much entrenched in culture. So to play with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet it's, it is trivial, much. but it's not trivial. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting in that context. And, um, you know, also I think this idea, which is another key theme um, and part of the journey, I guess, part of the end of the journey, which is this rejection of shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the acceptance of the richness of desire and desire being um, a positive rather than a negative. 
Right. Yeah, that's definitely it's a key component of the journey. Absolutely. Mm. Um, but it's not just, yeah. um, I mean, the sensual detail is there throughout, and, and I love it. Uh, desire, desire, not just sexual desire, but, you know, hunger as well. <laughs> and I, I mentioned that because I, um, and we, we're almost out of time, but I really, really want to uh, get you to talk a little bit about um, food and its importance in your work. And I'm particularly thinking of Nazu. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's also... Um, this other sensuous, sensual detail is the reference to food. Mm -hmm. um, I think that part of that is just, I have such wonderful memories of doing that 10 hour road trip and stopping on the road to buy nozuk and it's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. And it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite indulgent, it's very buttery um, and it, it's delicious. And a part of that is also, you know, memories of, cooking and baking with my grandmother as I was growing up. Um, and sort of how that was her contribution to the world, mm. I suppose, and, and paying homage to that as something that is very significant and monumental. So, you know, I'm gonna ask you now to read Apricot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Armenia has the Apricot. most delicious Apricot, apricot, yeah. Armenia has the most delicious apricots in, that I've ever eaten. Um, all right. Apricots, thank you. You are welcome. Everything I do, I do for you. Your joy is mine. Now churn the dough like so. Now roll, taste, repeat. The basic unit of life is the symphony. One, two, three, everything I do, I do it for her. Do you hear me? Do you see her? See her hands, see her nozuk, see her hair. What do you want? Nothing. Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you speak? Let me speak, remove your hands from my mouth. I have much to say. Architectural acoustics of skies. Could she see the sky from her kitchen? Could she reflect on the symphonies of the world? I write this for her. Mm. And I, again, I love the way you connect that, you know, that, line, the DNA line that, you know, that you, your grandmother share, um, perhaps your mother share with the, the sensual details of the, you know, the food itself. It, it's a beautiful connection. Thank you. Yeah, I think food is just such an important marker of culture, right? Mm. I think that's quite relatable for many people. Yes, um, and language too, yeah. which is the other thing that's, that's happening through the book. Um, and some of the book is, is actually written in Armenian. Um, and mm -hmm. so I, I, I'd love just to, to finish off um, for you to read, if that's okay, one of the Armenian poems. Absolutely, yeah. Would you prefer one that's entirely in Armenian or one that switches between English and Armenian? Oh, I, I'm <laughs> easy, think? but let's go entirely. Okay, sure. Let's pull it up. Um, here it is. 
a poem of my own, written with the tongue my mother gave me. Sonod modni, zalots, chuzots, zaidon domned kondid, tishnamineri azdak ned, batarazmi gortzik ned, judazid mortibura, horiguin, zalots, chuzots, mazot mas, halvumen, tapid geta, tadnid verev, verev, depi nor abaga, depi garmid gabui, zidanaguin, derin, hartaguin. Ins check garoch serkdak, gahal vek. Arevimutkin, gine gangnats, musavor achged, yergar mazed, kachzer shurted, graka mez ujguda, id hamar bidi baikarem, beranas batsumem, ashkara mer gogmene. Ins hampurume ye beradarumem, on sireli. She kisses me and I return here, unlovable. It's so nice to, to, just, um, to just listen to the rhythms of a poem in, in a language you don't understand because there's so much going on in poetry that you know, I think it's easy to be distracted by the semantics when you're mm -hmm. reading or when you're you're listening and, and I'm not saying distracted because that's of course I did say distracted but I don't mean distracted <laughs> um so much um but maybe um engulfed by the the semantics because that's the first thing the mind reaches for but there's so many other things happening in a poem you know the rhythms and the sounds the sonic elements um and when you don't specifically understand uh, the meaning then your mind goes immediately into hearing it as a kind of music which is, is really very pleasurable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. hope that everyone in their own way can enjoy the Armenian in the book, mm. whether they know Armenian or not. I've, I made the deliberate choice of transliterating all the Armenian into, with English letters mm. um, so that either people who know Armenian but can't read it can still follow along, or if someone's really interested, they can follow along with that to see how, how the poems would sound. I think Armenian is an incredibly rich language and I think it has an internal melody to it and lots of possibilities for rhyming um, and for you know, in playing with rhythm. Um, I think it's a very poetic language. Mm. So, so to, just um, briefly talk to me about the, the way in which you decided to use two languages in the book and how they play off each other. Yeah, absolutely. So the poem I just read, it's the only poem that's entirely in Armenian, except for there's two lines at the beginning and the end. And I think that represents another kind of journey, which is the journey of seeing herself as an Armenian who can claim her heritage and her language and, um, and write a poem in the Armenian language that will reflect her experiences. Um, and throughout the book, I mostly incorporate lines. Sometimes they come up in conversation with the mother. Um, and it's sort of, I think, reflects a kind of hesitancy to use the language, fear of using the language incorrectly, which is something that I myself struggle with. Um, it's another source of shame, right, is that I've inherited this beautiful language from my ancestors and it's been preserved for centuries and 
if I don't know it as well, then when I speak it, I'm going to make mistakes. Mm. Um, and that's something that it's, I think it's seen as a disgrace. And so I think that's, you see that in the book is that she's hesitant to use it. She's hesitant to claim it. And at the end, she says, no, here's a poem and it's mine. And it's written in the language that I've inherited. Mm -hmm. And it belongs to me as much as it does to the people who passed it on to me. Yes, the reclaiming of the mother tongue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So we're we're pretty much out of time now. um, But are you working on a new book? And also, where can listeners find more? Oh, so, I mean, I write poetry all the time. Um, I don't know if what I'm working on now will become a book. I think for a while I might want to take a break and just promote Journey to Dotev, but maybe in a few years. Um, where can listeners find more? Well, you can you can purchase the book at, at a few places. You can go to the Girls on Key Press online bookstore. You can go to Aubreel Bookstore, which is a wonderful independent Armenian bookstore in Los Angeles. Um, I write very regularly for the Armenian Weekly. I'm on their staff. So you can find some of my creative and nonfiction writing there as well. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I'll give, I can give you my Instagram handle. Right. I share a lot as there as well. Yeah, I, I think I follow you. So I'll, uh, I'll put all that in the show notes. So thank you so much Great. for joining yeah. me today. It was wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.